So it's, a, it's an honor to be here this morning. It's truly uh, been exciting. I've been uh, excited about this opportunity for Merlin to go on sabbatical. I think it's a, it's a great thing for him. And then the, the awesome thing for me is I get to preach for five weeks in a row, which is like, as those that know me, like this is, this is exciting for me. Like I love this, right? Hopefully you'll love it too. Um, but I believe as we've been praying about this, we've been working on the sabbatical with Merlin for almost a year, maybe a little over a year. And so I knew that I was going to have the privilege to share for five Sundays in a row, uh, which again is an amazing honor. And I've been praying about this time for nine months. And the Lord has given me the, the messages and they're all lined up and I'm just ready to preach. But the theme we're going to be walking through the next five weeks is the first things first, right? And the, you can follow along a little bit in your bulletin. I can't say that I will always stick to that. I, I like to change things as I go. But the, the Bible says in Matthew 6, this is the end of a long section that Matthew is recording there. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first. The context of these verses is really about worry and stress and anxiety and, and just coming to this point where we're fully trusting in who God is. And I want us to, I believe God has us walking through this the next several weeks. And the focus is going to be making sure that we have the first things first, the priorities in our life, the responsibilities in our life line up biblically, and we're going to be looking at our homes. Amen? I don't know about you guys, but I can't, I can't study that enough. I can't come to sermons about the home enough. I can't think about that enough because it's something that we desperately need. So we're going to be looking at the husbands, wives, the children, our relationships back and forth, and what does that look like inside the church. And so today we're going to start this journey by looking at Jesus's words um, to the church at Ephesus, the church that was given that where we're going to find that household text, which is in Ephesians 5, which is where we're going to be spending a lot of the time the next five weeks. So we're going to start this morning by reading our main text, which is going to be Revelations chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2. I'm from the south. We put an S on the end of everything, so forgive me for that. And we're going to look at the first seven verses, and this is our starting point as we get into looking at our homes for the next several weeks. So I just pray that we can, we can hear what God has for us in these verses. So let's read together verse one. Big difference between me and Merlin, we use different Bibles. So you may not be able to follow along as well as you normally with Bible. He, he uses an ESV. I like the New King James Version, so it may be a little, little different word for word, but it's the same thing. The Bible says in Revelations chapter two, verse one, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for name, my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. In verse 7, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of the life, uh, from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the creator, God. You're the, you're the king of kings, Lord of lords. Lord, you've done so many great and wonderful things for us in our lives, Lord. And I just pray today, Lord, as we look into your word, Father, you would encourage our hearts, Lord, to see you more fully. That we would come to that point again this morning where we recognize our great need for Jesus in our lives that great need of your word in our lives, Father, and that we could, we could take this passage, Lord, and we can apply it to ourselves, Lord, and just see, is there something in here for me? And Lord, as we think about this series, as we walk down this journey of looking at our homes and right responsibilities, right priorities, according to what your word says, not according to this world or anything else, Father, Lord, I pray that you would just thoroughly equip us, Father, thoroughly encourage us in your word, Father, that we would have households of faith, Father, that our homes would be a, a mirror of Christ and his church, that our children would, would be honoring and obedient, Father. But Lord, I know that it starts with having that right relationship with you. And Lord, I know that's where you've started this this morning. So I pray your blessings on this time. Father, help me to uh, do as you called me to do in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we sit here this morning, we're made up of family of families, right? We're this congregation that meets at Riverview, we're the body of Christ at Riverview. But really, think about it. If the devil wanted to destroy a church, right, he can always take out the pastor, right? But you know what? They make more pastors, right? There's other guys that will stand up. There's other guys that lead. But if you're going to destroy a church and destroy it for good, how would you do that? Well, I believe we can see this in Europe. We can see this in other countries. It's by destroying the family. It's by destroying the home. If you destroy the home, which is what we are all made up of, right? We're a family of families. There's the Nichols family. There's the Miller family. And there's the Miller family. And then there's the Miller family. <laughs> right? Right? And there's the Miller family. But we're a family of families. But if we can destroy that family, we can get mom and dad, we can get the kids out of order, we take away the strength of the church. And eventually, there won't be a church. And again, you can see this in Europe. You can read about those things. It's, it's historical, right? And I believe God has us at this point because he wants to encourage us that we don't fall into the same things. So I want us to, to think about those things as we walk through this text now, when we think about the church at Ephesus, we know that Merlin just preached a, a long series through the book of uh, Ephesians. I think we finished it up last fall, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we did talk about some of these things, actually, like last May and June, I believe, when it was. But when you think about this church at Ephesus, this was a, a, a mighty church. It was in this ancient city. There was this temple to Diana there, which was a very sexually immoral place. But in the midst of this pagan area, God raises up this church, this mighty church, which God loves to do that, right? And we know the Bible teaches us that Paul ministered there for three years. Aquila and Priscilla also ministered there. Apollos was there. We learn from the book of 1 Timothy that Timothy was also a part of that church. And then historically, we know that John also ministered in this church. So in spite of that, the Lord, um, in spite of those surroundings, God gave great biblical teaching, 
great opportunities for great men of God to be at that church to teach, to train, and to instruct, right? So this is the context. This is the church that we're reading about. This is an amazing church. Started well, great teachers. Like there's no, uh, like, you know, as many great preachers as we want to put up here, we're never going to be as, as good as the Apostle Paul, right? And Timothy and some of those guys. So this is the church that Jesus is writing to some 20, excuse me, 40 years later through John. And just to put it in context, so John is, during the time of writing the book of Revelation, he's on the Isle of Patmos, which is off the coast of Asia Minor. So he's about 60 miles away from Ephesus as he's writing this. So let's start by looking at um, Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. And we're just going to walk through this. And again, prayerfully consider, what is God wanting to say to us this morning? Revelations 1, read it again. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands. You know, the angel of the church of Ephesus could be, the, could be there's some angel that represents the church, could be talking about the church body. You know, I really don't want to get lost in the weeds and some of the symbolism that is here. I really want to focus on the message of what, is, what um, Jesus is trying to say to this church. But the one thing that's interesting, he says, in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. In Revelations chapter 1, verse 20, we learned those lampstands represent the seven churches. They represent those seven churches one of which being this church of Ephesus. So start in verse two. And when we think about this, Jesus says this wonderful thing. So he gives a lot of, man, you guys are doing some great things. He gives some correction, talks about some other things, and then he gives a way out. I love when God in his word gives us the hard thing, but then also gives us the solution to the hard thing. Amen? I know that uh, I need that. So verse two, he says, I know your works. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus says, I know your works. Like he's not just talking about the church. Remember, we're made up of lots of people inside the church. Like Jesus knows your works. He knows everything about us, knows every thought, knows every intention of our heart. He knows our desires. He knows what you're thinking about right now, right? He knows our works. When you think about that, you know we have this word work here means um, something to be done, an effort or an occupation, something that we're doing. The Bible says in John 6, 28 through 29, then he says, this is a question the disciples asked him, what shall we do that we may do the works of God? And Jesus answered and says to them, it is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. To truly work for him, we must believe, and to believe is to love him. To believe is to love him. The second thing he says there, can you guys turn that one fan down a little bit? Blowing my Bible around. Thank you. The second thing Jesus says to them, he says, I know your works, but I know your labor. And when he uses this word labor, it means pain or weariness of trouble. Jesus is saying, I understand the sacrifices you've made for me. The picture here for this word is really intense labor united with trouble and toil. Like these, 
They're, they're enduring some hard circumstances. They're doing some tough things. This will be a, place, a tough place to worship the Lord. Remember, this is a very pagan area. So he says, I know your works, I know your labor, and your patience. Your patience. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Think about these things that Jesus is commending them for. He says, I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience. You know, you can, you can break this, this section down into two words. There's endurance, and then there's discernment. And he's saying as a church, you guys have got it. You're enduring. You know how to work. You know how to labor. You know how to blood, sweat, and tears. You guys are patient. You've learned those things. And then he goes on to the next section. He talks about discernment. The second part of Revelations 2, he says, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You know, those evil people, those harmful, wicked people, you will not tolerate is what he says. Ephesians 5.11 says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So as a church, they're standing up for what's right. They're not standing, they're not allowing evil into their church. They're, they're very doctrinally pure people. They really want things to be in the proper order. But the second half of that verse, it says, testing those who call themselves apostles and found them liars. Not putting up with false teachers. This church knew their Bibles, right? How are we gonna know false teachers? By knowing our Bibles, right? So you've got this church who's, who's loving, excuse me, they're working, they're laboring, they're patient, they're, they're enduring, and they're discerning. Great church, right? Like how many of us would look at their website and go, like, I'd like to visit that church, right? How many of us would want that as a testimony for our own church? Like these are good things, right? Great things, actually, I should say. Great things. First John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into this world. Well, the Bible says in Revelation 2, verse 3, he says, and you've persevered and have patience. He's kind of recapping what he already said. And have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Like you're continuing to do so many great things. But then we get to verse four, and this is where things start to change, right? Things start to change. He says, in verse four, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now hold on here, this church was getting it right. This church was laboring, they're working, they're patient. They recognize false teaching, they're striving for doctrinal purity. How in the world can they be doing that? And it says, uh, they left their first love. You know, that word nevertheless there is basically what he's saying is, in spite of everything that I just said, I have something against you. Now, I want to make something very clear. Jesus is not canceling out all that he just said. All those good things are still good things. All those things that they mentioned are all right things. We're not throwing those things away, so please don't take that incorrectly. Children, don't write that down that way in your Bibles. That is not what he's saying. But he says in the midst of that, guys, you've missed something. 
And this is a, one of those sections of verses. I don't know. I know you guys probably have those. I've got about four sections of verses that, that just never leave me. They're always in the back of my mind, meditating and praying over that. And Ephesians, excuse me, Revelations 2, 1 through 7, is that one of those verses for me, sections of verses. Matthew 4 is another one with Jesus and the temptations. Exodus 3 and 4 is another one for me. But when you think about these verses, this is a powerhouse of a church who's doing a lot of great things. But in the midst of that, they lost, excuse me, they left something. And really the word there is basically that they have abandoned their first love. They've abandoned their first love. Now it's interesting, he doesn't say that they lost their first love, but that they left it. Leaving is a deliberate act that it may not happen suddenly as, as well. When we lose something, we don't know where to find it. But when we leave something, we know where to find it. The picture in my mind is a church battling this church culture of paganism around them constantly on guard. They slowly stop trusting in the Lord. They start to trust in what they're doing, their own efforts and how they're not like others. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of, we're not gonna do this in my family. We're, my kids are never, how many of you ever said that? My kids are never gonna do that. And about five years later, they're doing exactly what you said, right? You know, we, we love to think that we're something special. We love to think that all the work, all the effort that we put into things, like there's some good in there because of Chris or because of Curvin or, or fill in the blank. There's nothing in there that's about us. Any good thing in the name of the Lord has to be done for his honor and for his glory. Amen. Sometimes we think we have to fight these battles alone. We think that it's so awful out there that we have to stand so strong that inside here we, we kind of miss out on what God really has for us. So the question this morning for us is, in this amazing church with great biblical teachers, how they got to this point, which means the very same thing can happen to us. Amen? If it happened to them, it can happen to us. And I believe all scripture is written so that we can learn and be encouraged by it. So I believe these verses were written in my Bible because I need them. Amen? My wife said I'm not supposed to say that as much today, so I'm trying. Um, so thank you for the amens out there. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Go look at an example of this. Luke 10. The Bible says in Luke 10, 38 through 42, now it happened as they went that he, he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So here we have the, the picture of Mary and Martha 
and Jesus has come into the house and, and Mary chooses to just go and sit at Jesus's feet, right? Just to go sit at his feet. And Martha's busy in the kitchen. She's making food. She's doing whatever. Maybe she's cleaning the house, but she's busy and she realizes I've got way more work to do than I can get done. The, the, the master's here, right? So she tells Jesus, hey, Jesus, tell Mary and her lazy self to get in here and help me in this kitchen, right? And Jesus says, hold on, Martha, you're missing the main thing. Jesus is here, right? Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet to listen to him, to worship him, to hear from him. Now, how many of us in our lives are Martha, right? My personality, I love being a Martha. I love a list. I want to check it off and get all my stuff done. Like, I just love that. But you know what's the real danger? Because we don't leave any room for the Lord. We, we get so busy about our days. And how many of you had a busy week? Raise your hand if you did not have a busy week. That's the best way to do it, right? Our weeks are full. We had a, this one lady we used to go to church with. She's uh, passed away a few years ago. But she used to say, Busy, B-U-S-Y, being under Satan's yoke. And I, I love that. I don't know if, it's, uh, if she made it up or if she heard it from someone. But we are so busy. You know, the, the devil really doesn't care which side of the boat you fall out of, right? But he wants you out of the boat. And if he can keep you so busy, which is the picture I see here, I believe, with this, Ephesian, uh, this church at Ephesus, is that they are busy about so many things that they're missing that time to be merry and really sit at the feet of Jesus, listen to him and worship him and get to know him. Amen? How about our Bible studies? What, what do our Bible studies look like? Well, I gotta study my Bible because I gotta teach Sunday school on, on Sunday, right? Or I gotta prepare for a message for Serve India because I'm sharing it at another church. Or family devotions tonight. I need to have a little something ready for family devotions, right? Or... I got to build class or whatever the situation may be. What's our Bible study look like? Because the Bible says to study to show thyself approved unto God, right? Like we are to study because of God. Amen, right? We are to study because we want to know him more fully. But again, we get so busy with our life of doing church that we miss out on being the church. I was fussing at my, my wife this week because it, it just seems like every hour there's another thing on our schedule that wasn't there that morning. And then on one day, we whole, like the whole afternoon just changed. And I don't know about y'all, but I don't do real well with that. I want to get done what I plan to get done today. You guys ever do that? And God will flip that around and say, you know what, there's a lot more important things than me, which obvious, you guys know that. But what's our attitude towards serving? Somebody calls you today and says, hey, we need you to, to go help sister so-and-so Saturday afternoon versus going fishing. What are we gonna do? Go help so-and-so. Thanks, Les, he just signed up. <laughs> but are we taking that time to truly spend with our Savior? Are we taking that time to really work on our relationship with the Lord? Especially us as, as fathers. I'm a father. Are we really being that example in our home of seeking and trusting God? Moms, are you really that example in your home of seeking and trusting God? 
Do our children see us wholly dependent upon the Lord or just busy about Christian stuff? Just busy about Christian stuff. And again, those things aren't necessarily bad. But the part that we miss is the why and really the who of why we do those things. So can I ask you a question this morning? Is Jesus your first love this morning? Is Jesus your first love? Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Mark 12, 28 through 34. Then one of the scribes came and heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, what's the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. This is the guy talking to Jesus. For there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole born offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, but after that no one dared question him. So Jesus was asked this question by these scribes, what's the greatest commandment? And I don't know about you guys, but I need to be reminded of this. He says the greatest commandment is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, right? Which is important. We only have one God. There is but one true God. As we travel, you know, Stephanie and I were in Sri Lanka, we were in India, and there's lots of other false religions. There's little mini gods, small g, all over. There is but one God. Amen? There's but one God. And he says, because of that, we should love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment. This is what Jesus says. This is what our lives should look like, that we are fully yielded to him. Because sometimes we come to, we come to church and we hear a sermon and it's a three-part sermon and we write it down and we go home and go, I've got to do these three things. Or we, we take a teaching and in the, in the book that we happen to be going through and it says, we well, you know, as a Christian, you should do these five things, right? And they're all good things. But Jesus says, if we love him with everything, we'll want to do those other things. Amen? It's a want to. You know, the Bible says in Mark 8, 34, whosoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow. It has to be something we want to do. It's got to be something that we see the value in, the purpose in, that Jesus is worth it all. Amen? Amen? So the scribe came and said, okay, so what is this all about? So Jesus gives him this answer, and he says in the second section of verse 31, he says, in the second part of this great commandment is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the one thing that you see in this church at Ephesus, the one thing that I don't see in this list, and I could be missing something is I don't see where they have a love for the lost. I don't see where they're making disciples. I don't see where they're going and preaching the gospel. 
Maybe I'm missing something in the midst of that, but that's what I see as I pray about these verses. And I believe it's directly related to the fact that they're not loving God the way they're supposed to. Because if we love God, I believe what Jesus is just telling us is that if we love him with everything, we can't help but to love other people. Remember, the Bible says, how is the world going to know that you're my disciples? How is it? By your love, one for another, right? That's what the world's looking for. It wants to look in here and see that there's this great love because of Jesus that now that we all love each other, even though we're all different, we all grew up differently, not everybody's as handsome as I am. I get it, right? But we're different. There's no laughing there. Making sure you're paying attention. But the natural outflow of loving Jesus with everything is that we now love others. Amen? Now, the part as we, as we walk through this journey of the next five weeks, husbands, your first other is who? It's your wife, right? She's sitting right beside you, hopefully. And wives, who's your first other? That's your husband. Let's be mindful of that. Jesus says to love him with everything. You know, we think when we come to Jesus, we've got to, well, he wants my time, he wants my money, he wants my possessions, he wants, he wants I got to give and give and give, I got to do all these things. But you know what, if we love him the way he says, we don't, really, we don't really own anything at that point, right? It all belongs to him. You see how important it is that we love him first, that we love him with everything. Otherwise, we end up with some dry, orthodox type religion where we're just going through the motions. We're just doing church. We're coming to church, checking the box. We go to Sunday school, check the box. We go home, have lunch, take our three-hour nap, right? Come back if there's a Sunday evening service, and then there's Monday. The next Sunday, we just do it all over again. You know, God, that's not what he has for his church. And I believe that's what he's trying to teach these Ephesian, uh, these, the church at Ephesus, and I believe he's, also trying to teach it to me. What's interesting is Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter six. Where he's quoting from is Deuteronomy six, four through nine. And this is a, a very precious scripture in the Old Testament. It's called the Shema, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And this would have been scripture that every Jewish father would have had memorized. They would meditate on it. And it was part of their morning prayers. It was part of their evening prayers. But they were always thinking about how they're to love God with everything. Why do you think God told them to memorize that? Why do you think he, it was such a part of their life? Do we forget about anything? You know, I'm the worst. I look at my kids and I go through seven names. I have eight kids before I get the right one. You guys ever do that? I'm just glad I only have one wife. Right? Although I will tell you, when I, we were on the missions trip, I did call Aaron Nichols sugar bean. I was, thought it was my wife. Anyway, different story. Different story. But we're forgetful hearers, aren't we? We forget how important the love of God is in our life. This morning, as Ernie led through those songs, just the beautiful singing over and over about how great this love is that God has for us. And how God doesn't, he, Jesus didn't die for this mechanical approach to church, this church that really doesn't have a life to it. 
So let's go on in the verses, back to Revelation chapter 2. Revelations 2, verse 5. The first word there says, remember. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus says, remember. Remember. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read the first 10 verses. Ephesians chapter 2, just as a way of remembering all that Jesus has done for us, could choose lots of different scripture to fill in this place, but this is just where my heart was led, thinking about the church at Ephesus. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, first 10 verses. Please follow along. This was uh, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. Verse 2, or excuse me, verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, amen, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." Beautiful verses. By grace we've been saved. Verse six, and raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, this, this whole section is a reminder that it's all because of Jesus. He is the main thing. The theme that we're talking about for the next five weeks is the first things first. Well, the first thing is Jesus. It's our relationship with Jesus. It's not your children's relationship with Jesus. It's your relationship with Jesus. And the thing that I've been learning in my own personal walk with the Lord is that how precious my relationship with Jesus is. It has to be the most precious thing in my life. My wife has to see that she's a far second compared to the love that I have for the Lord and for his word and for his ways. Husbands, we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go. But we are to remember Jesus says. The solution is remembering who Jesus is. What has he done for us? Remember, therefore, from which you have fallen, he says. Repent and do the first works. Repent and do the first works. We know what repent means, right? To turn. But you know, we can't turn unless we can admit there's a problem, right? When's the last time, don't raise your hand, where you went before the Lord and repented? Because really, this should be a normal part of a Christian's life. Husbands, when's the last time you went to your wife and just said, honey, will you forgive me? How many of you husbands were perfect this week? Raise your hand. All right? We need to be seeking forgiveness. We need to have that mirror of how our relationship with Jesus works. Lord, forgive me. I failed. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9 that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
We just need to be seeking out, staying in that place where we know that we're clean before our Heavenly Father. So he says, do the first works. The, the thought that I had when I was reading through this for the hundredth time preparing for this service, what really motivates us, right? Is it money? Is it some acclaim, you know, oh, that so-and-so is such a great person, they're a great singer, they're a great whatever. Like, do we love to hear words like that? You know, what really motivates us really helps us to see where our heart is, right? And what really should be motivating us is just that love that God has shown us. Amen? That love that he's really poured out on us. But he tells us to go back and do those first works. Now, um, he's referring to what was life like when you first became a Christian? It was dull and boring, right? Didn't have anything to say. Is that true? Amen, right? Like it wasn't true. Think about when you first got saved. Got a Bible. What'd you do with it? You devoured it, right? You just read that thing front and back and just was, every time you sat down, like, give me my Bible, let me just read. Always wanting to listen to sermons, always wanting to talk about the Bible, wanted to be around people that love their Bible, wanted to be around people who knew their Bible, right? You wanted to be in Sunday school. You came to church three times a week. We did all these things because we saw how much we needed it. And I think that's what happens in our lives as we walk with the Lord, as we forget how precious it is, how much we need that. And the other things that we did, a lot of us anyway, when you first got saved is how many of you couldn't stop talking about Jesus? Have we lost that church? Have we lost that zeal? When I first got saved, you guys know this, I was driving a beer truck, I was taking night classes, I was trying to be an accountant, which I'm glad I didn't turn out to be an accountant, but um, wasn't for me. And I remember my, the teacher left the room for a while. It was a Friday night class. And uh, so I took the opportunity to sit in front of the class, shared the gospel for 20 minutes. You know what? I expected everybody in the classroom to repent, fall on their face, and get saved. <laughs> Nothing happened. Right? I just sat down. But I had that boldness to do it because there was an opportunity. Do those first works. Go back to that place where, where Jesus was brand new. And if you're not having those morning devotions, not the check off, I gotta read my three chapters or I can't get through my Bible this year, but that morning devotion always goes better with a cup of coffee, by the way. But anyway, that morning devotion of I need Jesus. I need him. How am I gonna be this husband apart from him? How am I gonna be a, a great father apart from him? How am I gonna follow Jesus if I don't know Jesus? Amen? Do those first works, he says. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly. Remove your lampstand from the place unless you repent. Unless you repent. So there's a, there's a sticking point here, right? He says, you guys have an option, right? Now, we always have an option with the Lord because God doesn't force us to do anything, right? If he forced us to do it, then we didn't have to write it down, right? He doesn't need the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we recognize we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need his word in our lives because we know that we are the problem. We need to be changed. And if this great and mighty church in Ephesus can have this struggle, brothers and sisters, so can we. 
So the challenge this morning is, have we left our first love? Are you just going through the motions? Are you just doing the next thing? 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Let's continue on in our passage. Verse 6. He says, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans were this group that uh, did a lot of bad things. And, he's, and Jesus is saying, you guys don't like them, neither do I. But he goes on in verse 7. And he challenges them with this verse. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Just seven verses of a challenge to this, ver- to this church. But Jesus gives them this option. Guys, brothers and sisters, he says, I love you. Turn, go back to where you first started. Start walking with me that way once again. But there is a challenge there that says, hey, that lampstand, which represents that church, isn't always gonna be there if they don't turn. He says, I will come to them quickly. But he says, but to him who overcomes, I will give him to eat of that tree. Referring to that tree of life. It's quite the, quite the challenge, isn't it? Quite the challenge. I mean, we just went through the whole book of Ephesus or Ephesians with Merlin for, I don't know, it was like 14 or 15 months, I think we went through that book. And it's just so full of God's love and his redemption, the spirit-filled life and what that looks like. And yet in the midst of all of that, somewhere along the way, they left or abandoned their first love. Now, this didn't happen in a day, right? It didn't just wake up one morning and I just forgot all about the Lord, right? It happens as we lose value in who God is. It happens as we we don't feel like God's answering our prayers, right? We pray for something over and over, but do we trust him with the results, but he finishes and he says, who, uh, he says, back to verse seven, he who has an ear, let him hear. Raise your hand if you don't have any ears. Right? That's us. And I like to put myself, when I read the Bible, I put myself right in the middle of that. He's saying, Chris, do you have ears? Yes, I have ears. Then I need to pay attention. I need to pay attention to what he's saying. It's, he's saying, Chris, have you lost, excuse me, have you left your first love? Bible says in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, it says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety and see if there is any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. As we look to the family for the next several weeks, I believe God let us here first for a reason. We can't really look at our homes. We can't really look at what God's way is for the home if we don't have this foundational point first. Do we love him, church? And do we love him according to his word with everything? And again, the, the best way to see this is, do you want to serve others? Because it should be a natural outflow of who God is and what he's done in our lives. So that's the challenge this week. That's the challenge, that we could see ourselves the way God sees us, that we could see ourselves in these verses. And maybe you're here this morning going, Chris, this is not for me. Then pray for your neighbor, right? 
pray for those in the church that it is for because I believe God led us here because it's for us, right? And maybe we haven't completely abandoned him, but maybe we've slid back a little bit and that, and that fire is not as hot as it once was. Not as hot as it once was. But if we're really gonna understand who God is, it starts with loving him, everything. Which means a yielded heart, a heart that says, Lord, I belong to you. Amen? Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's stand and we're gonna pray together. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the gift of your word. It's precious to us, Father. And Lord, I just pray that you'd forgive us for the times that it's not, the times that we neglect it, the times we overlook it, Father, the times that we think that we don't need it, Father. So Father, I just pray that you would challenge us today, Lord, even in the midst of all the good things that we have going, all the things that we're doing, Father, are we, are we truly doing it out of a motivation because of who you are, what Jesus has done for us and laying his life down for each one of us, Father. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us as a church that we could boldly say that we have our first love and it's in the proper order, that we love Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and we want to go and love others, that it is the testimony of who we are in our homes and in this church, Father. But Lord, I pray that you would convict us. Lord, I know that we all are in different places in our walk with you, Father, but I pray you would convict in your Holy Spirit's power, Lord, to help us to see, do we need to repent? Do we need to remember who you are and do those first works all over again, Father? But Lord, I pray and trust that you're able to do those things. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So I wanna give a benediction, okay? And I wanna use those words there in Mark 12, 29 for us. Jesus says, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, I, and this is my prayer for us, that the Lord would help us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, recognizing this is the great commandment and that we would now go and love our neighbors as ourselves because of this great love that Jesus has given us. Go and walk in his love. Amen.